It's Monday, November 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. I'm alone in the studio, but fortunately, across the Atlantic Ocean, with me on the phone from Germany, Matt Kopenheffer. My friend! Guten Tag, Chris. <laughs> Guten Tag. It is so good to talk to you again. Thank you it is for good to talk to you as well. Thank you for doing this. Uh, there is a lot. There's somebody. Frankly, this is one of those episodes that I usually say about earnings season. We could easily go for an hour, and I feel like there are so many questions I have for you. We could go for an hour. We're not going to. Don't, um, don't tempt me, because you know I can. <laughs> you know I can. Uh, let's start with what is absolutely going to be on everybody's list of the biggest business stories of 2015. Let's start with Volkswagen. Um, and I mm. should mention, this is this podcast is going up on Monday, November 30th. We're actually taping it before then, so, so there, there's always the possibility of sudden announcements on any of the topics we're about to talk about. But I, I can only guess at what the impact of the Volkswagen story was in Germany. How has it been playing out? Uh, it's been incredible. I mean, it's it's really from a lot of different angles, a very, very sad story. And one of the, one of the things that, that gets to me about it is that I had always thought about German management and management culture as a cut above the rest. And in fact, I was talking with Andreas Hackethal, a professor at Goethe University in Frankfurt, about the, the Volkswagen situation and said the same thing to him, and he had the same reaction. And so my hope, my sense, and, and his as well, is that this is just a one-off. This is just something out of the ordinary. Um, and, and I think that there's still reason to think of German management culture as above the rest. But this was a really big hit to that and, and to that idea. Um, but from a, from a bigger picture perspective, Volkswagen and then looking out on the bigger auto industry, out on bigger industry in general, to me, this is one of those threats of trying to go after a goal like being the biggest at something. I'm always looking for, and I feel like a lot of the foolish companies that we recommend, we're always looking for the best. We're looking for the companies that are really trying to serve their customers as best as, as they can. Volkswagen, Toyota, General Motors, these are companies that were going after that biggest crown. And, and, I, and they all got into trouble doing it, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I saw a statistic that in Germany, one in seven jobs is tied to the auto industry. So, for anyone who, even for a fleeting moment, thought VW's going down, <laughs> that first of all, that's not happening. And right. and to the extent that the government would intervene at any point, they're they're not going to let that happen. And yet, Matt, the trust factor. I, I feel like the damage to their trust, in some ways, is very difficult to quantify. But we just saw this with BP, right? That more mm-hmm. than more than five years after the Deepwater Horizon uh, accident, it took more than five years for BP to spend, first of all, a whole lot more than was originally thought they were going to have to spend. And it took longer to settle the case to the extent that it settled. And I'm wondering if people in Germany are looking at Volkswagen and thinking, Okay, maybe this is an isolated incident, but this is going to take a while to fix, and this is going to take a lot more. When they came out initially and said, we've set aside $7.2 billion to take care of this, my first reaction was, you better double that number and probably double it again. 
Right. And, and I, I think one of the other interesting things about that is that comparing these two instances, when customers are choosing to do business with BP, so first of all, you've got a lot of business-to-business kind of stuff going on there with the upstream operations. But when you look at BP selling to customers at the pump, you're talking about somebody stopping along a roadside, spending 20 bucks to fill up their tank, right? So that, that's the decision they're making. With Volkswagen, it's a much bigger customer decision, and it's a customer relationship. And when you do damage to the customer relationship in that big of a, in, in that big of a purchase, I think it's a lot harder to repair. At any point, has the question been raised among people you talk with, other investors in Germany? Because I, I know you had an event recently, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But at any point, does anyone raise the possibility of, you know what? They can get through this, but if there's another shoe to drop, then we could be talking about real trouble. I don't hear much of that. The, the question that comes up more often not surprisingly, is do you buy, B, do, do you buy not BP, do you buy, buy Volkswagen right now? Do you think this giant hit as an overreaction on the stock to what's happened and buy it? Um, I haven't, I wouldn't, but that's what a lot of German investors are thinking right now. All right, well, let's move off of Volkswagen. In a couple of weeks here in the U.S., the Federal Reserve is going to be having their two-day meeting and there is a, a pretty sizable expectation that they're going to raise interest rates a quarter percent. Uh, long-time listeners know your affinity for the banking sector. How is, <laughs> how is uh, all of this being viewed in Germany? So, having moved over here, I, I think in a lot of ways, Americans think that they're the center of the universe. And in a lot of ways, that's completely false. But when it comes to interest rates and what the Fed is doing, there is a very big global impact that we see from that. And and that's definitely true here in Germany. So when we look at German exports as a percentage of GDP, depending on how you calculate it, you're talking at about uh, around 40%. In the U.S., it's somewhere around half that. So exports are a big, big deal here in Germany. So anything that's going to affect currencies between different countries uh, is going to have a big impact on Germany and is going to be very closely watched, particularly in the U.S. So the U.S. is the second largest importer of German goods. So if interest rates rise, if that helps strengthen the dollar further, that will have a big local impact here in Germany. So when people in the U.S. are thinking about, well, what's Yellen going to do with interest rates? That's obviously got a big impact on the U.S., but that impact really has a, has a big uh, flow out into the rest of the world. I don't know if it's going to rank higher or lower on the list of the business stories of 2015 than the Volkswagen story, but certainly one of the big stories this year has been the slowdown of China's economy. What's been the effect in Germany? It's a similar story, right? So, again, you talk about Germans exporting. And China, although it's well behind the U.S., about $20 billion or so behind the U.S., it's the fourth largest importer of German goods. And I actually went back and look, looked at this, and it's, it's pretty interesting. In 2009, China was just breaking into the top 10 in terms, of, uh, in terms of importers of German goods, and now it's number four. 
So when we look at Germany's GDP growth, the country's economic growth over the past decade, it's actually been pretty impressive as far as the European Union goes, especially as the European Union goes. Um, but it's been exports. It's been largely exports driving that growth. And so when we think about China slowing down and, and the out, outstanding growth that China has shown in general, that's a big concern here for Germany and the ability to continue growing those exports. Um, you know, we haven't heard a lot about recently is Greece. It seems like earlier in the year, we were going through yet another round of the discussion of whether Greece is going to be exiting the EU. Is it just me or has that really calmed down a lot over the last few months? <laughs> well, so I think the first thing on that, which is, which is pretty interesting, is I think the situation has helped an awful lot by the fact that it's not on the front pages. I think when you get, anytime you get politicians and media and a lot of attention on something, it's bad news. Um, but beyond that, I think it would be interesting to have Morgan Housel in the room for this, because I think there's a lot of behavioral investing, the, the um, econo behavioral economics that play into this, from the perspective that when that was going on, that was the end of the world, right? Germany, or, or Greece is going to exit the EU, the euro is going to crash, the, the entire world's going to end. Can, so I at least can, can I just pause for you for example. one second? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's something that now that you mention it, it's easy to forget that you had a lot of people out there who were very quick to not connect the dots, but really to set up the dominoes and to say, well, if this happens, then that's going to happen, and then that after that, and global catastrophe. All of Europe was going to be a sinkhole. Yeah, the, yeah, it was a good time. If you were a doomsday scenario type of investor, it was a, it, those were the glory days. Well, but here's so, – so the interesting thing about that is that it's, it's always – it seems like it's always the glory days. There's always <laughs> something bad that you can point to. And it's like every time it's, no, 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 this time I'm serious. This time this is really bad. And it just happens over and over again. And – it's a, it's a consequence, I don't, if I'm being cynical, I'll say it's a consequence of the media and trying to sell clicks and page views and, and newspapers and whatever. But from an investor's perspective, it's not like, oh, this is the thing that's going to end the world now. It's like, oh, this is the thing that people are saying is going to end the world for this moment. I mentioned before you had an event recently, and, and for those who haven't clicked over to fool.de. It is our website in Germany. It is our uh, service that Matt is heading up and working with a growing team of Fool investors. But you had the chance to actually get together with some German Fools, yes? Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. My colleague, Bernd Schmidt, who I work with here in Germany, he and I uh, started here with a meeting in Berlin then we went to Cologne, from Cologne to Frankfurt, from Frankfurt on to Stuttgart, from Stuttgart on to Munich, and then Munich on to Vienna before heading back on an overnight train to Berlin. And in every one of those cities, we got a chance to meet with German fools and talk with them about investing and about the challenges they're facing. Anything stand out in terms of a theme or a common refrain that you heard from investors in all these cities? 
Oh, well, this is, I mean, this is talking my own book, but so many of them were really glad to see The Fool. I, I could say back in Germany, because technically we were in Germany in 2000, but in Germany, publishing, bringing the foolish way of investing to, to Germany, which I, I think the country is frankly lacking. There's so many great things I have to say about Germany, about its economy, about the companies that are here. But there's no foolish perspective. There was no foolish perspective. So I think we're bringing that. And the fools that we met with are, are really, really excited about it. I don't think I, I told you this before, but uh, about six months ago, uh, a friend of mine works for a news association. And one of the things he does is he organizes tours for groups of international journalists who are visiting the United States. And so he contacted me and said, listen, I've got this group of about a dozen journalists from Germany from different news organizations and they're going to I'm taking them to CNN I'm taking them to Bloomberg I'd love to bring them to the Motley Fool and so it, I spent a couple of hours with them and it was it was wonderful it was a really great experience but what struck me was as I was showing them around the office and talking with them one of the first questions I got asked was what does Motley mean and I just I just <laughs> looked at this woman who asked. I said, "Well, do do you do you not have the word Motley in in German?" And so then I had to think. Well, wait, what does Motley? Mean? So I had to. I was stumped right out of the gate with what does Motley mean. But then I was thinking about you saying, "Well, gosh, what what is Matt going through when he tells people he works for the Motley Fool?" And they just look at him like, "Well, what does Motley mean?" There are a lot of interesting translation, we'll say, conundrums, as we. Launch the launch the site and the service here. I mean, fool is one of them, right? Because technically, you can translate fool to nar in German, but it fool is such a rich word for us, right? So yes. we just brought it over as fool because there's so much more to the meaning than what it actually means. Let's get to the service that you're launching because uh, the site, the Motley Fool Germany site, has been up for about a year and a half or so. Fool.de, but. Uh, as we've done in Australia, as we've done in the UK, in Canada, and in Singapore, now in Germany, we've got a service. What's Tell me about the service. Well, I'm really excited that we finally have this because, as you know, it's a, it's a whole different way for us to interact with fools and foolish readers. And we've put a lot of work into putting this together. That, that whole tour to fools was actually part of the product planning. We wanted to meet with fools find out what they wanted before we really did this. And so the product is all in German. It's, it's aimed at German-speaking fools. And what we didn't want to do was just take a U.S. product, translate it into German, and say, here, here's a product for the German-speaking market. So, here's, here's Motley Fool Stock Advisor. We've translated David and Tom Gardner into German. There you go. Exactly, exactly. We've, we've put them in different colors and uh, no, so we, we designed this from the ground up. It's actually a quarterly newsletter. So that's different than anything else we're doing anywhere else because we really want to emphasize the long-term nature of foolish investing. And we found that that, that really resonates well with German investors and German fools. Um, and what we're doing is we're actually splitting the picks each month, or each quarter, sorry, between doc region picks. So those are... Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and then picks from the, the rest of the world. So we're giving sort of a mix between regional and global so that fools can get a 
well-diversified portfolio based on, on what we're doing here. All right. I should mention, uh, for anyone interested in learning more, you can go to fool.de slash radio. That's fool.de slash radio. Well, I'll put the URL in the description of the podcast so you can just click on that. But uh, if anyone's interested, by all means, check it out. Kick the tires. Matt Copenheffer, so good to talk to you. we got to get you back on more often. It's great to talk to you too, Chris. I am here in Germany and it is, it's, it's late. It's dark out here now, but it's bright in my heart because I'm talking to you. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 